So we are in Revelation still. Greetings to all of you, particularly those of you who are online. Glad you're with us today. Uh, We are in a series called Reclaiming Revelation, which means that at some point down the road, we wonder if maybe the things of Revelation have been co-opted and been pressed to mean something that maybe they don't mean at all. And so we've been traveling through Revelation, and we started with the vision that John had in, uh, John, in chapter 1, and, and then he moved his attention to the churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Last week, we heard that the, uh, the scene changed from earth to heaven as he sort of pronounced the judgment on the churches, and then he moved to the, to the very throne room of God. We saw that God was presented as both Creator sustainer and redeemer. And now we start the, 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 the whole rest of Revelation, pretty much. And so today I want to talk about striking symbolism, striking symbolism. There was a song, some of you are old enough to remember it, 1970, the five-man electrical band came up with a song, and it said this, say it if you know it, signs, signs, everywhere there's signs, clogging up the scenery, breaking my mind, do this, don't do that, can't you read the signs? Some of you are already, yeah, I got it. I know the 70s generation. And the song was basically uh, a road trip that the band went on down Route 66 from Chicago all the way to California, and they noticed the beautiful scenery in America had been almost obliterated by the advertisement that was all around them. But there was another meaning in the song which said, we really ought to pay attention to the symbols. We really ought to pay attention to the signs. Now, how important are symbols? Well, a two-year-old can't read a note, can't read a word. Maybe they're whatever, but they're in the car, and they see the golden arches, and they know exactly what that means. They, They have no doubt in their mind that there's a happy meal in their future. My grandson is four and a half. And if you give him his iPad, yes, his iPad, he knows how to turn it on, and he knows that every symbol on there represents something else. He knows that that if he pushes that icon or taps it, that something else is going to happen that there's, there's some action that will follow, a, a movie, a, a game, a, an art project, that, that all he has to do is tap the symbol. He can't read. Well, he can read a little bit. He's four and a half. But he certainly couldn't read the, the names of all of the symbols, and yet the symbols for him unlock something else. 
And that's where I'm going with Revelation. The, the, the symbols unlock something else. And, and we've been dealing with the pretty tangible so far. We, we get the, the churches and, and how they're misbehaving and, and the, the judgment against the churches. We, we get the symbolism of the throne room of God. Okay, it got a little cosmic last week, but, but still we get that there's God on the throne and Jesus is next to him and, and that the, the seals of the scroll can only be unlocked by Jesus. But you know, for the next several chapters in Revelation, as a matter of fact, over half of Revelation has to do with symbols and signs and images. And some of them are pretty scary. You just think the movie is intense. So here's the deal. We move into chapter 6, And we start reading about scrolls and seals and trumpets and later on bowls, and they all mean something. And then there's dragons and beasts and witnesses and uh, uh, glassy seas and, and horns and heads and faces and It's a little overwhelming. No, it's a lot overwhelming. But all the symbols unlock something. But not everybody agrees on what it is that they unlock. Let's do a little vocabulary. In the book of Revelation, we've gleaned a vocabulary with words like rapture and tribulation and millennial reign, trumpets, bowls, scrolls. And in that that, that vocabulary, we, we, we go, okay, what does all that mean? Well, the rapture is a, a belief that's held by a lot of people that there will be a time when, when individuals who are uh, Christians, who call themselves Christians, who follow Christ, who made a decision to, to follow Him for the forgiveness of their sins, that they will be captured up into heaven, and somehow they will miss out on the really scary stuff that Revelation talks about, the tribulation. The tribulation is a a period of time of very intense suffering, a very intense persecution, much of it government-driven, empire-driven, top-down driven, driven, uh, abuse of power uh, by people who have power. That's, That's kind of the tribulation. Some think it's seven and a half years or seven years or three and a half years or a really long time. There are some that think we are living in the time of tribulation right now. Then there's the millennial reign. The idea that in the Scripture it, uh, it suggests that there will be a thousand-year period of time where there is peace, relative calm on earth, uh, maybe following the tribulation, maybe on either side of the tribulation, maybe before the tribulation. And at the end of all of this, God's going to decide that it's time for everything to come to a close. Jesus is going to come back. He will vanquish Satan and all of his minions to the really scary place, and then the world will end. That's sort of the vocabulary of Revelation. The problem is that really, really smart people don't agree on the timing of all that. 
that not everybody embraces that there's going to be a rapture. Not everybody embraces that there's going to be a millennium. They all agree that Jesus is coming back. And that's kind of what he wanted us to focus on. Nonetheless, we need to to visit some of the images that are in Revelation because those symbols unlock something. Those symbols lead us to an action. We press the icon and and we get another screen that shows us some other stuff. So say it with me, sign, sign, everywhere's a sign, the signs and symbols of the Revelation. So chapter 6 Sort of to set it up, Revelation's important or it wouldn't be in the Bible. All right, God preserved it in the Bible. Preachers avoid it for the precise reason that you're as confused now as you were when you came in because it's going to get worse. So Revelation is important. And because the signs and symbols comprise about half of it, that must mean that the signs and symbols are important too. Now, while not everybody agrees on what they mean, not everybody agrees on whether they are literal or symbolic, whether they are actual or metaphorical, we still need to pay attention to what God has left us here because there's some takeaways both for the church in the first century and the church in the 21st century. So dive in with me. These vivid images are are shock and awe kind of images. Let's get started. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened up the seven seals. Okay, we heard about those, right? The last week, we we saw that God on His throne had in His right hand a scroll, and that scroll had writing on both sides of it, meaning that it was complete. There was no more room to write anything else. The plan was in place. And we talked about the, the idea that the scroll was in that day a legal document. Yes, there were letters that were sent in scrolls, But a scroll that was sealed, and especially a scroll that had seven seals on it, that was some kind of an official document, usually either a deed to a piece of property or a will. And I found myself studying Revelation going, well, that's really convenient that the last will and testament, which would be made into a sealed document, uh, in, in earthly terms, it's, it's what I want to happen after I die. And it only is convenient than a way to help me remember it that God's will is that there is something good that happens after we die. God's will is the creation it's the uh, Old Testament, it's the New Testament, it's the birth and the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection and the promised return of Jesus. That is God's will for us. And so the scroll, you could see it as God's will rolled up and sealed. And that to open it is to open up God's will for you, for me, for planet Earth. No wonder John was weeping when he said there's no one who can open the scroll 
There's no one who's worthy. God's will can't be unfolded unless somebody can open the scroll. And so here in chapter 6, the scroll is opened one seal at a time, and it's a, it's a, a pattern that's repeated. And I'm going to talk about seals and scrolls and trumpets and bowls today, and the number seven is throughout all of them. Now, the seals and the scroll, that's the same thing. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, and they are going to be opened one at a time. The first four seals are in a group, and then there's two in a group by themselves, and then there's one. So it's four, two, and one. When we get to the trumpets, they're going to have a similar pattern, four, two, and one. When we get to the bowls at the end, they're not so much in a pattern. There's still a group of seven and those seven are, are meant to be a complete number. And in the case of the bowls, it's saying all of God's wrath has now been poured out. So the seals. The first thing that we notice is that the first seal is a horse, a white horse. The second seal is a red horse. The third seal is a black horse. The fourth seal is a pale horse. I don't know what color pale is. I think it was supposed to be the color of a corpse. And so each of these seals is opened, and each of these seals has a representation of what the rider was carrying. In the case of the white horse, he was carrying war and conquest and abuse of power. In the case of the red horse, bloodshed. In the case of the black horse, famine, pestilence. In the case of the pale horse, death. And so seen as a group, these, these four horses are, are representing the unfolding of chaos on the planet where humans who abuse power, especially hurting one another, are unleashing war and conquest, bloodshed, famine, and death. So the, for the, the horses are seen as a group. And now the scene changes, and it moves from uh, earth to heaven, because in the fifth seal, verse 9, chapter 6, the, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the Word of God. So the martyrs, the scene is changed to heaven, and that seal is open and say, the, the martyrs have not died for nothing. The, those who have, who have said their peace about who they were in Christ and what Christ was to be, they were slain for that belief. And, and we see many of them in the Bible. Uh, the, the, the disciples all died an unnatural death except for John, and he survived to write this. So the fifth seal was the martyr. The sixth seal Great earthquake, sun became black as sackcloth, moon became like blood, stars in the sky fell to earth, sky vanished like a scroll, the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, rich, the powerful, everyone, slave free, they hid themselves because this was so terrible. So what we see is that there are, there, there's humans acting human in the four horses, scene shifts to heaven and say, they've even killed some of the, the choicest saints. And now as they begin to recognize these heavenly signs that are pouring out, the earthquakes, the moon changes color, they, they know this isn't normal. 
And there's something in the back of their mind from this God that has, has been denied and profaned and all of the other things in our time and every time that's ever been. There's a recognition that God is up to something, and they wonder what it is. So the six seals were, were on the edge of our chair wondering when the seventh one is going to happen. And, and we're looking for it to be in chapter 7 because chapter 6 ends with the, uh, the, the, the verse in 17 that says, For the great day of the wrath of God has come. The tribulation is underway. Whatever that is, it's underway. Now, a lot of you would look at history and go, war and conquering? Check. Bloodshed? Mm-hmm. Pestilence, famine, tsunamis, earthquakes. Yep. And so you might go, okay, all this has already happened. Or you might say, well, it's still happening. It happens in cycles. Oh, yeah, there's this little conflict going on in Israel. Is that a sign that we're in the tribulation or that the tribulation has come? Maybe. They said the same thing about World War I and World War II and the Crusades and Vietnam and the Persian Gulf and, and the Boxer Revolution and every war that's ever been, people have wondered, is this the time? And that's okay because the answer is yes, it is the time. It is, it is the way that God is unfolding. Now, do I think it's going to get worse? Absolutely, because the Scripture says so. So there's an interlude here where he sort of gives us some reassurance. He gives us a little confidence. He talks about two groups of people, or maybe one group of people, depending on how you interpret Revelation. And he starts by calling them 144,000. Now, do I believe that that's 144,000 actual people? Not really, because all of the numbers in Revelation are symbolic. Seven is considered to be a complete number. So we have seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. When we see numbers that are in triplicate in Revelation, that's considered a, an absolute perfection. Holy, holy, holy. Three times holy. That's, that's really holy. And so when we get to the end of uh, uh, the chapter 13, I think it is, and we, we see that the Antichrist is numbered 666. Six. six is one short of seven. So it's an imperfect. It's a, it's a stop short. It's a try to cheat. It didn't quite get there. And so regardless, I, th I think John probably was thinking about Nero when he wrote this. Nero was a horrible person, or Domitian, or Caligula, or any of the rest of them. We might look at it in our time, and we could name some people who have been particularly horrible to other people, Hitler, others. But the point of, the, of John is to say that whatever, whoever that is, or maybe it's this supernatural being that has yet to manifest on earth, he is 666. He is three times less than perfection, three times less than what God would call complete. 
So the, the numbers, the four, the two, the one, the seven, 144,000, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, 12 times 12 is 144 times a thousand. There, there's this, this completeness. It's everybody, all the apostles, all the tribes of Israel. And, and of course, we're talking about those who have been, uh, who, who, who have joined themselves to the Lamb that we talked about in the last chapter. Let me stop there for a second, a little time out for a word from our sponsor. You can't understand Revelation apart from the cross. Don't get to play. If you think it's about dragons and beasts and horns and the end times and the future, you have completely missed the point. The point is that God's plan, the scroll that will be unfolded, written on both sides, complete, nothing more to be added, is about the death, the burial, the crucifixion, the promised return of Christ. If we don't see revelation through the lens of the cross, we don't even get to play. So the, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the, the completed work of Christ, he's done everything that's needed for you to be in fellowship with God. But there's a part where you say, okay, God, you're God, I'm not, your way is best. So the 144,000 here, followed by a great multitude, chapter 7, verse 9, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, all people, all languages, standing before the throne. Here it is, before the Lamb. And now they are clothed in white. They are worshiping Jesus. They are, they are in, inheriting the grace that God has. Palm branches in their hands. Does that sound familiar? Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Do I know who the 144,000? No, I don't. Do I know who the great multitude is? Well, like I said before, it's kind of cool that it sort of looks like our church these days, that, that, that we are increasing with every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, and language. At the same time, all I know is about those people is that they are sealed because they worship the Lamb. They are sealed because they have embraced Christ as Savior. They are sealed through the horrible stuff, not from the horrible stuff, but through the horrible stuff. There's no promise in Scripture that we won't suffer as a matter of fact, in John 16, 33, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He, he promises that there's going to be suffering, but he promises he's going to pull us through it whenever that suffering has, whatever part of it we have to endure. So now you're going, oh, wait a minute, something in the back of my memory. Wasn't there another seal that had to be opened? Yeah, all these people are worshiping. Verse 14, uh, John is asked who this is, and, and he says, you know, and they say, no, we don't. And he explains it, verse uh, 14, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. So whether or not we experience suffering, whether or not we're in the tribulation now or whether there's a whole lot worse one coming. The promise we have that is in Christ, He takes us through it.
Not out of it. Out of the great tribulation, through the great tribulation. Didn't spare us from it, necessarily. Or maybe he did. Maybe the church is raptured. Maybe we're raptured. Maybe we're all caught up to heaven, and we don't have to do any of that. Whenever I think of that, I feel a little arrogant because in my heart of hearts, I know I deserve it. I know that there's nothing that, that says I should be spared from, the, from the, 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 the part of God's wrath that reminds me that I'm a sinner saved by grace. So the seventh seal is opened. Some of you are looking at your watches, so I'll move on. That's a vain exercise, by the way. He says, so when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in all of heaven. There was silence. Silence is a little scary, isn't it? And the deafening silence that stretched across heaven, maybe it was in awe of the things that were to come. Maybe it was in awe of the the gift of grace and mercy. We see God's mercy all through this. And so the seal is opened, and instead of really telling us what the seal represents, the seal uh, was, was now an assignment. Now the, the seal gave way to the trumpets. So the trumpets are now uh, uh, in play, and they represent the extension of the seventh seal. So the first four horses, then the martyrs, then the, um, the earthquakes and, and all that stuff, and now the, the, the identification that, hey, be encouraged, we're, we're going to be okay, we're, we're under the blood of the Lamb, and now the seventh seal is open, and that just leads to seven trumpets. So there are seven of those, verse 7. Uh, chapter 8, verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, hail and fire. Uh, second angel blew his trumpet, great mountain burning with fire. Now, the people who read this in the first century, I, I told you, I think this was written somewhere around 90, 95 A.D. Students of history will tell you that back in 79 A.D., Mount Vesuvius exploded, eradicated the city of Pompeii. Lava washed all the way down to the Gulf of Naples. It, it destroyed ships. So they didn't have any problem going, oh, okay, that's already happened. Mountain of fire to the sea. Okay, we're well underway. We're, we're already down to the second of the trumpets. Well, in every time, in every season, we can point to things in the Revelation. So what is all this imagery for? Third angel, great star fell from heaven. Name of the star is Wormwood. Ironically, the name that C.S. Lewis used in his book, The Screwtape Letters. A third of the waters became bitter. Fourth angel blew his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck. A third of the stars, so that a third of their life may be darkened. A third of life a third of the day, might the sun didn't shine. So back to numbers for a second, if I can just chase a rabbit. Usually, fractions are bad. <laughs> Six is not quite seven. Nine is not quite ten. Eleven is not quite twelve. 
Usually fractions are bad. But if you follow along here, the fractions kind of represent God's mercy. Not everything was destroyed. The, the sun wasn't darkened for the whole day. Not all of the people were wiped out. Throughout this, we see that the, the, the merciful hand of God is at work. And we're back to what we have to understand when we read Revelation, that without the mercy of the cross, we don't understand it at all. And throughout this thing, we see that God is merciful. He doesn't let everybody get wiped out. He doesn't let it, the sun stay dark all the time. He doesn't let all of the, the, the crops be lost. Then uh, an image of an eagle, verse 13, which is always representative of God or something good. And this guy pronounces that, hey, the worst is yet to come. So the fifth angel blows his trumpet. Uh, a star falls from heaven. We think that's an angel. Whether it was a good angel or a bad angel, we don't know. All we know is that he had a key to unlock hell. He opens up the pit and now the, the demonic locust, the, 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 uh, the swarm of really, really evil things is all over the earth. But they are limited. Again, mercy. They're told not to harm the grass, not to harm the plants, not to harm the tree. Only those people who don't have the seal, the 144,000, the great multitudes. Only those who have not said to Jesus, I have sinned and fallen short of your glory and I need you to come into my life and to show me mercy. Only those who haven't done that are subject to this horrible stuff. And he goes on to describe this, this army. They're, they're tormented for five months. They're not killed. Uh, they're, they're tormented. Then the sixth angel blows his trumpet. And there are four angels who are now released to, verse 15, kill a third of mankind, only a third, and only those who have not been marked for Jesus. Now the mounted troops were twice 10,000 times 20,000. That just means a whole lot. But then you get all the way down to verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. And I'm going, are you kidding me? They see all this stuff going on and they still don't repent? Well, if you keep reading, you get the idea that humans holding on to power is a stubborn thing. Apparently, they kept on worshiping their idols. They kept on hurting each other. They kept on practicing sexual immorality. And all of a sudden, you and I are reading this going, you guys are out of your minds. The interlude is... is now between the sixth and the seventh, just like the same pattern with the seals. The interlude is that John is reminded that he is supposed to be a prophet. Verse 7, uh, the, the trumpet call sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery would be fulfilled uh, as he announced in his prophets. Then the voice said, take the scroll, the little scroll, the, 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 the smaller version of the big scroll, eat it, eat the word. Verse 11, because you must prophesy. You must keep on testifying. It's horrible around here, but you got to keep your eye on the ball. Keep on preaching. 
And then he talks about witnesses, verse 3, chapter 11. And I will grant authority to my witnesses, and they will prophesy for three and a half years, 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years. That's where some people have gotten the, 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 the part of the tribulation that gets really intense. And then he says, and when they finish their testimony... So their job is to keep on telling people that there is grace, there is mercy, there is love at the foot of the cross. And yet people still won't hear it. So then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world, verse 15, chapter 11, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, verse 18, but now your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged. There's another little interlude. And next week I want to talk about it more. But in chapter 12, it begins to shift the focus from Christ and his mercy to the activities of Satan. He's called a dragon. And next week I'm going to talk about judgment and how all of that fits together. But in the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16, we're introduced to this idea that it's time for the wrath of God to get full on. How many of you remember the movie Top Gun? Is there anybody in here that hadn't seen it? Just raise your hand and be embarrassed. So there's a, this is talking about the first one. There's this scene in there where Tom Cruise gets all freaked out about the fact that it didn't end well the last time he had somebody in the back seat. And so he gets all freaked out and he disengages from the battle. And everybody on the aircraft carrier is going apoplectic because he is, he is not in the battle. Maverick's bugged out. And we have this dramatic music that goes on for a little while. And then Tom Cruise pronounces the mantra, I won't leave my wingman. Okay, great. And now he gets back in the battle. And everybody's smoking cigars and all happy on the carrier deck because Maverick has re-engaged. You kind of feel that here. God's let all this horrible stuff go on. Man is in control. Hordes of demonic locusts are everywhere. People are dying. The moon's black. God is disengaged. He's allowing Satan to run unfettered on planet Earth. And people are dying, and people are still doing what they want to do. Well, then the bowls show up, and the wrath of God is poured out. And I, I won't take the time to go through each bowl individually because really they're to be seen as a group. There's a group of seven seals. There's a group of seven trumpets. There are a group of seven bowls. And between the three of these, they comprise easily half. Throw in the, the dragons and the beasts that we'll talk about next week. And this symbolism is rich, but the symbolism of the bowls is that there will be a day when God no longer holds back. All this drama 
people still didn't turn away from, from their sin, and you're going, they're just, I don't know. But now the wrath of God is not held back. And at the end of the description of all of the bowls, the Scripture says, they assembled at a place called Armageddon. The seventh bowl poured out. A loud voice came out of the temple saying, it is done. There's no more wrath of God to be poured out. That's terrifying to me, that he's not holding back anymore. He's not holding back the wind or the waves or the fire. He's not holding back people's ability to abuse each other. As Romans says, everybody did what's right in their own eyes, and there's no restraint. And yet, if you understand what Revelation is trying to tell us, It's trying to tell us that whether it's rapture or not, whether it's tribulation or not, what you've got to understand is that the worst the world can offer and the worst that sin can do, God pulls us through it in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the whole book was written as an encouragement. It it was written to, to help people. It's spiritual reality. Let me end with this. We've got to remember the purpose of Revelation. We've got to remember that it's about God's unfolding plan, unrolling the scroll that is God's will for humanity. We've got to understand that it's, that it's so important God gave us the book of Revelation so there are spiritual battles that are going on that we don't see. Whatever time and place and sequence and charts and graphs, I don't know about any of that. All I know is that we are naive if we don't think there's a spiritual battle going on. We are naive to think that that there are consequences if we do not turn our attention to God and His work and His world in the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, We are naive to think that there are no consequences ever for all of the stuff that people are doing to one another purpose of Revelation was to encourage. It wasn't to terrify or scare. It was to encourage that, that you're not far off, that what, what God is unfolding, you're, you're kind of sensing it right, that there's a, there is a, a, a consequence for, for shaking your fist at God. There's a consequence for refusing to embrace Jesus as Savior. But I also want us to remember Acts 1-7. Jesus' disciples said, is this the time? Is this when? Is this how? And he said, in my amateur translation of the Greek, it's none of your business. God's going to do it when God's going to do it. So three bedrock truths that I want you to take away. One, Jesus is coming back. Whatever, whenever, however, Jesus is returning. He said that he would. And when Jesus returns, there is an unfolding of God's pulling down the curtain, and the world as we know it will be over, and we will spend eternity in heaven, or we will spend eternity in hell. Secondly, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. 
We don't know how Jesus is coming back. Revelation calls that a mystery. And third, we need to be ready. He's coming back. We don't know when. We need to be ready. Seals, trumpets, bowls, imagery, icons, symbolism, they point to a central truth. God so loved the world that He sent His only beloved Son that whoever would embrace Him, receive Him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. The message of Revelation, the symbolism that is striking. Would you pray with me? God, we know that Jesus is returning. We don't know when, and it's our job to be ready. How do we be ready? You said that you demonstrated your love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. That we know that we're like people who are in need of grace, and it blows our mind that they would see all these signs and yet refuse to follow you. Father, if there is a person in this room who doesn't know Christ, perhaps they would say a simple prayer, Lord, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I repent of those sins. I accept your forgiveness. And I pray that you will help me learn how to live as a follower of Christ. If you have said that prayer today or any time, and you want a further conversation about that, or what's next? How do I get in a group? How do I be baptized? How do I learn more about what following Christ looks like day to day? Would you do me a favor and find one of us as pastors in the lobby after we're done? Go to the connection corner and have one of the volunteers there show you uh, uh, some things or, or point you in a direction that you need to go. Don't, don't leave this lane here. It's, it's pretty emotional stuff. But allow the assurance that whether it's 144,000 or whether it's a great multitude, that you're in that number. God, we love you. We thank you for this powerful, powerful image. We thank you that it speaks to us, not for fear, but for encouragement and strength. God, I'm so blessed, so grateful that we can find mercy in the cross. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.